The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison. I'm joined today by Justin Taylor of the very famous Taylor's Wines. Um, Justin, I'm so excited about talking to you today. It's a perfect time to be talking about all things wine. How are you? Look, I'm fantastic, and I'm looking forward to becoming even more famous after chatting to you, Oriel. <laughs> yeah, no, look, it's, it's, it's great to catch up with you again and, and have a chat about the world of wine in some pretty crazy times. So so where are you coming from um, today, Justin? I ask because I should point out at the, at the start of our conversation that I'm coming to you from a farm in central Queensland, very close to Theodore, unfortunately not a vineyard, um, but there's plenty of horses and cows outside. So just in case you hear those random noises. I'm in Sydney, Australia. So the family is originally a Sydney family. So, and we'll, we'll get to the history stuff, but it, we're a Sydney family. Various members of the family have worked and lived on the vineyards in Clare, South Australia. So our vineyard assets are all South Australia's Clare, beautiful Clare Valley, but the family still by and large resides in Sydney. So you don't get to wake up every day looking over those beautiful grapes. No, I, so no, no, I don't. I and and for my sins, I've been in the family business for. I think it's coming up on twenty five years, and it's been sales for me for the twenty five years. So I've been lucky to lead led the Australian team for almost a decade in the early noughties. And then, and then got sent off around the world, took my wife and four kids or three kids and ended up having a fourth in the US, um, did some time there. I've, I've been very lucky in that I've worked literally extensively around the world. So throughout Asia, North America, haven't done a lot of Europe, but have done the UK, um, obviously done all the Australia business. We're in a joint venture in New Zealand and I'm on the board of that with um, the Brown, Brown family, Brown family wine group. Um, so I've been very lucky in my 25 years within the family business to have been able to travel the world introducing the family's wines to people around the world. Well, isn't it wonderful that Taylor, Taylor's Wines remains to this day a family-run business? And, in fact, you're now third generation. How much, have thing, how much has changed, you know, over the years? The technology piece has been probably the most significant change, um, and that's technology from not only communications, um, enabling you to do business around the world, but also with winemaking. So I think the family's wines are, are the best they've ever been, but there's a very good use of technology in there without losing any of the romance and, and the, the family's house style of making wine sort of influences everything. Um, but again, you know, how you use oak, presses there's so much on the wine making side where technology has improved things how we extract wines how we filter wines just to make them better and i i think i'm i'm the ripe old age of 52 and and, and born in 69 so i was born in 69 the same year 
what does mum and dad say? They go, 69 was an interesting year. My father put grapes in the ground in the Clare Valley. The Americans put a man on the moon and Loretta Taylor put Justin on the earth. And, and he's, been, he's, he's, he's been talking ever since and causing the family havoc. But the, the fact of the, where I was going with that was when you're in a wine family, you, you drink a fair bit of wine. So mum used to joke the only way to shut me up was to dip her finger in a glass of Chardonnay and let me suck on it when I was a baby. <laughs> well, you're in some esteemed company there. <laughs> 69, aren't you? I mean, you know, that was uh, not a bad year to come into this world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot going on, and and I, look, it's it, it's it's I, our chat can go anywhere you want, but I I still get amazed when you tell the stories about you know my grandfather, my father, and my uncle starting this business over five decades ago, and just the risk, the the, the absurd amount of risk that they took. Um, you know, we we were in pubs. We were we were a Sydney pub family with a, quite a few pubs, the Taylor and Whelan family. And um, we sold all the pubs to get into wine. So we were selling beer to Aussies and decided to get into wine when Aussies were starting to drink it, but not massively. So, you know, a lot of risk um, sort of taken there back in the late 60s. Yeah, absolutely. You know, talking about family and you, you've been in the business now, as you've talked about, for, for more than 20 years. How hard is it to work with the family? I mean, is the pressure even more intense um, when you do work within the family to do a good job? It's got some crazy rewards, but it's certainly, I, I think there's an expectation that, and, and we've worked our way through the business. So I work in the business with my two brothers. One of those is Clinton, my younger brother, is general manager of production in, in the Clare Valley, and my older brother, Mitchell Taylor, is CEO of the business. And the three of us, have evolved. Uh, those two guys have both been in the business a bit longer than me, but I think all three of us have evolved in, in our time in the business. We've had different roles in the business um, and we've evolved. But I think there's a real, you're in a leadership position. So there's there's always that responsibility of of leadership, you know, and, and, and doing a good job. And certainly Mitchell as CEO, know a lot of decisions i think he's employed some incredible people and got a great executive team around him but you know there's that pressure of making good decisions i think the three of us were born with a pretty good work ethic so i don't think that's ever been an issue um there's certainly no silver spoon in the mouth i i um i remember when i first i'd i'd done about a decade at channel nine working in media in sydney and I came over and my father, the interview was the funniest thing. So he phones me. I'm working over at Willoughby at Channel 9 and, and he phones me. He goes, oh, we need you to join the family business. And I go, oh, well, things are pretty good here for me at Channel 9. Should, I, um, should we do an interview and, and you know, we'll see if it all works out for both sides? And he went, oh, no, we just did. Um, you can you, you can start on Monday. And I went, oh, no, no, Dad, it, like, it's, it's pretty good here for me. And he was like, no, 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 we need, we need some senior salespeople in here. We, we're trying to sophisticate this place up a bit or wherever his mindset was, and, and, and over we came. Then on the first day I turned up, took a wonderful pay cut and all sorts of things to join the family business, he then goes, just be crystal clear because your name's on the bottle doesn't mean I can't sack you. And I went, oh, okay, Dad, there's the massive vote of confidence. Um, you know, <laughs> sort of. But I thought it was also good that we... We run a 
you know, a hugely professional organisation here at Taylor's and um, but the feet are on the ground that the family members know that they are simply part of a much broader family. Um, you know, we employ 120 to 150 people now at Taylor's Wines and every single person, you know, contributes so strongly to the the outcomes we achieve. So, you, you know, you, you, your feet are on the ground, the work ethic is there. Um, and I do, I think there's, there's pressure, yes, but we all have pressure in our data, in our jobs, in our professional lives. Um, but there's also huge reward. And for me, some of those rewards are, I still laugh and having done certainly the last decade, decade and a half in international sales, I still find myself throughout the world, you know, the big cities throughout the world, presenting my family's wines. And, and you, you just, the adrenaline and the, the, the love and the passion for it just pops out of you. And you still laugh that, you know, 24, five years down the track, will that passion start to wane? And it, and it never does. It just never does because you've got your father and your uncle before you and then your grandfather before that. You've got all these great people you work with. So it's, um, it, it's a responsibility, but it's a joy. Yeah, I've seen you prevent, Justin. I can see that passion that is clearly still there after working in the business for, for 20 plus years. You know, we were laughing earlier about you mentioning the C word, but let's let's talk about the C word because COVID has had such a big impact on every single industry on a global level. You have a global role, you've got an executive role, but you've not been able to do as much travel in the last couple of years. How has COVID impacted your wine business? It's been, um, look, we're probably about we're about 25% international and still 75% Australia. So our brand is pretty big at home. Um, and that, and what we saw around the world, it was, it was interesting. There was, there was, there was also two, there was lockdown one and lockdown two. So our 2020 results were, um, really boosted by COVID. So people, when they were first locked down, they bought a lot of toilet paper, a lot of pasta, and they bought a lot of, wine, spirits, beer, and everything. Um, and we were a trusted brand, certainly in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, to the UK, to a degree, a trusted brand. So consumers went with trusted brands. So the first 12 months of this, you know, the globe surviving this on a business front, um, you know, things ticked up for us. 2021 was, was, has been quite interestingly quite different. Um, Consumers around the world are now um, putting up with COVID. They're a bit more conditioned to COVID. Um, they're actually getting um, healthier. So there's, there's, there's the volume of drinking is, is not there across categories, but they're actually drinking better, which I think is a, a fantastic thing. Um, so, um, so we've seen two results um, there. On the that's sort of sort of the the macro on the micro internally inside the business too. What what really affected us with COVID that um, COVID was starting to bite in these markets. The one that then quickly flipped us was was China at the start of this year. Now China actually wasn't a COVID response. It was. The communist government of China flicked over to um, these big tariffs on Australian wine. So the two governments, you know, were not 
we're not having a great time on their communication processes and what have you. So nice way of putting it, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm still optimistic. And, and the funny thing was, I, so I was there, my latest assignment, or my latest, latest assignment is global accounts. But prior to that was China. So I'd done about three years where I was going up to China every second month. I, I, I was doing, I did, I probably did in the last three years, I did nine months, 10 months in China going to, gosh, I would have gone to 30 or 40 different Chinese cities, you know, and went to the big ones multiple times. Um, but I worked with the Chinese people who were fantastic, you know, fantastic. We we had them out to the winery multiple times. We'd have groups of 20 plus, um, you know, who would just love the wines, had a thirst for knowledge and a thirst for the wine. So we had some really good fun times. Um, but then, you know, there was just this regulatory, you know, change um, that occurred. And I think we still, I think for some of us that we're still optimistic that the two governments can sort that out. And I don't, I don't you know, that's geopolitical. I don't need to touch upon that, but um, that they can sort that out because the certainly the Chinese consumer loved Australian wine. They Red's a lucky colour. You know, they loved our Shiraz. They loved our Cabernet. They loved our Merlot um, sort of stuff. So it was out of the two years, COVID was a big impact and it's the ongoing um, ongoing impact. But China was a real, that was just a crazy one to be part of, to work on something hard for, you know, three years, to build a business plan, to build connections, to build the relationships, the processes, all of that. And then to have it just, you know, scuttled was, it was pretty crazy uh, experience. Yeah, I can imagine it would have been a difficult experience to go through. Does this make you I suppose even more resilient, though, when it comes to situations like these, if you can go through that three years' worth of work, um, which is essentially at the moment being just put on hold, does it make you more resilient as a businessman? Look, I think it, it, it yeah, I would say it does. It, it um, It's lovely of you to say that, resilient. It, it was such a kick in the guts. And I think what's been interesting is um, it's been the nine months since. So I came back. At the start of this year, in January 2021, we were so on track and the team, we'd employed three people in China permanently, the marketing team, production. We were, you know, so focused and it was firing. You know, the containers were flying. It was just so exciting, you know, to see all your work come to fruition. And then by the end of March, we were literally um, trying to race the last containers up there um, I think we were trying to send about eight containers, two of which got through before the cutoff. Then we had to bring six back from Singapore, a port near Singapore. So that was just a big nightmare and an expense and all that sort of stuff. And and I, I would say, yeah, somewhere down there, you are more resilient, but you, you're more experienced too. You know, when you've seen it go pear-shaped, and how to deal with that. And I was very impressed with how our business flexed. And, and, and like even the guys at production that helped me pull together eight containers of wine, bolted up there. Then when only two got through, we had to bring it all back. And the guys at production were like, they had to delabel it and put it, you know, put it into Aussie brands or wherever else we sent it around the world. So that's a big pain in the backside for them. But everyone, supported you and rallied you there was never you were never you know it was actually quite 
you had to work on yourself because you felt like a bit of a leper within the side, within inside the business, but no one inside the business was looking at you like that. So, and I sort of remember my wife one night or day or sort of said to me, I said, God, I'm so down about this. And she just went, it was completely beyond your control. There was, there was no way that that was, you know, you didn't bring that one down. So just get in there, turn it around, get, she's great, my wife. She's like, you get a pat on the back and then a kick in the backside at about the same time. So you, you can have a down day, my friend, but let's get on with it sort of thing. I like this girl. I do. <laughs> now, I know, so White Australia recently released its wine production sales inventory report, which basically is showing, you know, what's happening to production, what's happening to sales, all, all of those sort of things. And it showed that production increased, but sales volume decreased. We've been talking about China. So there's a clear reason for the volume decreasing. Now, I know that the domestic market has picked up some of that slack. So some of the wine that was going to China, it seems like we are drinking more and drinking better. So Taylor's is well placed for that. But what about new markets like South Korea, like Singapore? Um, not necessarily new markets, but, but the growth in those kind of markets seems to be very strong. Yeah, look, fantastic question. Um, it's been fascinating. And then the other thing that's happened, so everything you just said, absolutely on the money. The other thing that's also happened, Australia's had a good vintage, but Europe and New Zealand have had shockers. So what's also interesting, wine is now such a global industry and a global commodity. So like say in the UK, our, one of the guys, Neil Hadley, he's a master of wine, fantastic guy I work with in the team. Neil was just in the UK and with some of our big clients over there, um, they, the meetings went along the lines of, look, let's, let's put to bed all, all, all of our commitments for the next 12 months. And, and it was really interesting. I said to Neil, oh, that's great success, great trip. Um, apart from you being unreal at your job and our wines being lovely and what have you, what, what do you think occurred? And he said, look, I think these European harvests last couple of years have really got the guys, they're searching so hard for wine out of Europe um, that they just want to confirm all the Australian stuff and concentrate on where the bushfires are um, sort of thing. And then New Zealand's had a really tough one. And, and Savion Blanc, for instance, is still really, really popular. Marlborough in New Zealand um, sells huge amounts of Savion Blanc. But Australia does. Adelaide Hills, um, cooler climate regions of South Australia, you know, do Victoria just do fantastic Savion Blanc. Um, so what we're finding is opportunities are there. As far as markets around, that's a classic. You, you did read your data. You are a prepared interviewer. I thank you for that. So South Korea has really picked up. Asia's going to be interesting. South Korea's picked up. Singapore, Hong Kong has picked up. I, I, I'm intrigued as to whether there will be our trade partners in Asia, some of the most entrepreneurial people in the world. And if you've got a big market like China that still might have a thirst, even though it's, um, how could we say, quite illegal for it to be in there, there might be avenues to get it in there. And I don't know for sure, but we're certainly seeing some of our Asian markets picked up. The UK had spiked up again, but I think that was a bit of a COVID again, still playing such an influence because you, you can literally watch if there's a lockdown and then an opening up again, you watch your sales come up again. So if, if restaurants throughout London and, and the UK are closed, 
then they open up again. You watch your sales tick up again. And I think that was reflected in some of the Wine Australia data for the UK. So that'll be interesting to see whether that fluctuates. We're seeing some of the Asian markets, um, as we just touched upon, affirming right up for Australian wine, which is wonderful. And I think we've been in a lot of those markets for a long time. The South Korea one's a little bit newer um, than the others, but certainly Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, as far as Taylor's Wines goes, and an industry, we've been there and it's great to see them um, ticking up. So, yeah, there's, there's a, it's, it's never dull. There's a lot going on around the world. You have done so well at the moment, you know, and, and your winemaking team. You know, if you look at the recent rewards or awards, rather, that you've had, one of your Chardonnays has just been crowned the best Chardonnay in the world. That's over in Las Vegas. One of your Reds has just been awarded the best Australian Shiraz, and that was in the UK. Um, so you, you've got some really, you've got some winners um, out there at, at the moment. How does it, how does that make you feel? I mean, that must be so exciting. Oh, it's funny because, you know, it's really competitive. So, you, you know, you're working really hard. And those results are the third party endorsement. You know, they, they, those are some of the biggest shows in the world. Wines from all around the world are entered in those shows. They're, they're the ones we enter. We enter the big shows around the world. And to get those awards are just a complete, endorsement of five decades and three generations of hard work and evolving your winemaking. They're a massive tick and credibility to our winemaking team. Adam Eggins and his team down at the winery, they're just, they're such brilliant people. And Adam himself, Adam's Adam's someone you should interview. He, You know, you meet those people throughout your life that you really sit there and go, that guy's guy or girl's brain is so big i don't know how it fits in that cranium like he's he's just hugely intelligent and he his knowledge of wine and then what he's also had to do is also buy into the family style i think the family's position on winemaking is we're, we're sort of the baton holders we we've grown up around it we know what the house style is but adam's the guy in charge of it all so for him and his team hugely exciting certainly look for, for salespeople, and that's what i've spent most of my time just makes your job a bit easier because consumers do want the awarded winner the award-winning wines um and, and it gives the marketing team a huge amount to talk about so it gives them a chance to build our brand around the world um so yeah there's there's a lot of upside for the business but it's just that for me it's that tick in a box that what you guys are doing is working and you're, and you're on a really good path. And, and we have, in, in recent years, we have won some crazy awards. Our, our visionary cab, I think two years ago, won the best cab at the Concours um, to Cabernets in, in, in Bordeaux. Like it was, it was crazy, you know, the, the home, of, home of Cabernet and, we, we, and this new world, you know, Australian wine company won the trophy for best, you know, New World Cab. So, you know, they're, they're pretty big awards and it's very exciting. It's hugely exciting. And, and I have to be completely open and honest with you here. I absolutely adore your wine. So, you know, feel, feel free to send some my way. Yeah, done, done. <laughs> so, Justin, for all of the people that are out there that are listening to us today and, and, are, and are saying, you know what, we talk about wine as alternative investments, so not just this beautiful drop that we can enjoy with our friends and 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 you know and celebrate various occasions. It's also about wine can be an investment opportunity for investors out there. 
What is it that people should look for if they are looking at actually buying wine for investment purposes? I'd go into the rearview mirror. So I'd look at the pedigree of the wines you want to sell and the wines you want to put away. So in Australia, it's Langton's. You know, they do a lot of work with cellaring wines and they'll rate them and things like that. So again, it's really the pedigree behind the brands is and the history behind the brands the consistency, keep a very close eye on, you know, where the wine companies are being bought out. You know, there's been a lot of consolidation in the Australian wine industry over the decades. Um, so sometimes the style of wine making, you know, through a, through a takeover, um, things can change. So I think that's pretty important. I think also, and we haven't touched upon it, you were probably going to get there, global Global change and global warming, it really is having a bit of an impact on a lot of us producers. Like for us in Claire, Claire's getting warmer, you know, and, and I don't need to, I don't heavily get into the dinner party conversation about is it happening or not happening. I just, I just view the numbers and I can assure you we've been doing this for over 50 years and eight of our 10 hottest vintages have been the last decade, in the last 10 years. So, so we're definitely getting hotter, which will, in some ways, it'll be really interesting for us in that Shiraz the Great, for instance, loves heat, thrives in it. So what you could see out of us over the next number of decades is some incredible Shiraz. Cabernet, again, I think we'll look after it. I don't think it's like good old Taylor's Cab Sav's about to take a hit. It's one of the most, it's still the number one premium selling Cab Sav in Australia, the good old white label Taylor's Cab Sav. I think there'll be some more work to be done and on our cabernets and what we've also done we we've just bought some um vineyards we bought them this year last year we bought some more vineyards um closer down to barossa so we're going a little bit more south a little bit cooler climate so what we will do is bring some cooler climate fruit up and and blend it in with our claire stuff um, and we'll get some wonderful consistency out of our cabernet and we've been doing that for quite a while anyway but It'll be one just to watch that I'd still look at the pedigree behind the brand and the houses that you're buying your wine from to store as an investment. Um, they certainly resell at premiums and, and all that sort of stuff if you don't want to drink it yourself, which is, of course, my recommendation. But then it's also, yeah, it's, it's demand. We often, my older brother Mitchell particularly says, you know, we're in the fashion industry. And it is interesting. Like at the moment, people are drinking healthier, which is wonderful. People are drinking Pinot Noir Rosé in red wines, really like massively in demand. So the fashions move in wine, but they tend to be quite secular. They, they you know, Shiraz might be a little bit too strong for people at the moment, but they tend to come back to it. We've laughed in spirits at the moment. Gin, gin, gin is the, the spirit of the moment. Prior to that, it was vodka and prior to that, it was bourbons. So, the, the, you know, the consumer rotates their taste in wine as they do in spirits, as they do now in craft, you know, they love their craft beers, um, sort of thing. So, I'd look very much at the regions that you're from. I'd look at the pedigree. I'd look at the ownership. I'd look at the consistency. I know in my cellars, I have handfuls of brands that I like and I get probably a little bit more than I need. And then, and then Brooke says, right, the cellar's too big and it's time to throw a few dinner parties, which off we do. And, and friends are very happy to be there. 
But yeah, that's how I'd do it. I, I, I love that idea. You know, you've got too much wine in your in your wine cellar, so let's let's share it with friends. Isn't that what it's what it's all about at the end of the day? I've got a good one for you. So in two thousand and eight, we went to the US, and it was either take the cellar with us or store the cellar. And you know, the cellar wasn't massive, but it was probably I don't know thirty fifty case nine LE, you know, liters um, of wine. So it's a decent cellar. And I invited about half a dozen of my mates up and I said, look, I'm going to sell my cellar. I'll do it all at cost. I'm not trying to make money out of my friends. I've, I've you know, worked out the price of it all. And my very good mate, Simon Ma, who's been very successful, turned up about half an hour before the rest of my mates. And he said, Justin, I'm going to buy the lot. <laughs> I said, oh, I said, oh, so I shouldn't we let the guys have a look? He was like, no, 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 I'm going to buy the lot. And when they come in the door, they can all have a drink tonight but I'm going to buy the lot. And then the great thing about that was, and Simon's a wonderful friend, very generous, he would then have us all down to his place in the years to come and I would just get to drink my cellar. So, <laughs> so, so that all worked out quite neatly. Now, Justin, just, just, a, just a really quick question before we go because we are uh, um, just about out of time. We talked about warming and, and the differences and, and what you have to deal with on that front when it comes to, to, to making your wines with a different climate, different temperature. There is so much focus on ESG and sustainability right now. This is a focus in Taylor's Wines as well. You're very much focused on res responsibility when it comes to sustainability. What does it mean for you going forward? Oh, look, we're just, it's a, uh, for us going forward, there's an, I think there's going to be quite simply, simply the family has, you know, at the end of the day, we're farmers. So we've got to look after the, the earth, the planet, if it's going to look after us. So we're completely committed. And I think also what we're finding around the world is our consumers expect it and demand it of us. So we've signed up to the Paris Protocols. We're doing everything to reduce our carbon footprint um, right across our business. There's so many projects that we're involved in um, and what have you. So we're, we will be, we're members of Sustainable Wine Growers Australia. As I said, Paris, we've, you know, the protocols, we've signed up to that. Um, science-based targets. We've signed. We we are, you know, we're we're really pretty deep in this space. Um, my father was phoning me the other day. We've just put a whole lot of solar on on some of the warehouses down there. And he's like, "How quickly are we rolling that out? I want to see that rolled out." You know, we've got a. You know, that's just going to be part of the course um, sort of stuff. So we're we're head and shoulders deep in this space, and I think we should be. Um, I think the next generation coming through, the generation four, when we do the family forum at the end of the year, they are so fixated on this space. If we, if we were not strong, our children would be kicking us harder than anybody. So I, I'm very proud to say that Taylor's is making a lot of inroads in this space and quite significant ones. You know, Sustainable Wine Grows Australia, signed up to Paris Protocols, science-based targets. We're, we're doing the big, we're doing the heavy lifting. This is the, what a fantastic and very positive place to uh, end our conversation. Unfortunately, we, we have to end it. But next time, Justin, we're going to do it later in the day so we can be doing some wine tasting at the same time. Aurel, you are fantastic. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time today. Wonderful to chat to you, Justin. That's Justin Taylor with us there from Taylor's Wines. For all of our listeners, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for being with us. Um, we will catch up with you next time for the next episode of Stock Insiders. 
This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.